Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. For a lot of us who are sending our kids off to college, the idea of getting a full scholarship for a student athlete sounds like a hell of a deal. Incredible payment. And so it is weird to get our arms around what is going on with the Dartmouth men's basketball team. Leave it to the Ivy League basketball player nerds to be the first to try to unionize as employees. Do you think of a college football or basketball or volleyball player as a student or as an employee? It's a very, if you step out of sort of, you know, a hundred years of our preconceived ideas as to what we think, oh man, it's, it's interesting because the more I think about it, the more I think these Dartmouth kids are right. Let's bring in a legal expert. Dr. Charles Reed is a professor at the University of St. Thomas School of Law. Uh, He has studied labor law quite a bit, written on it, taught on it. And he joins us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. Charles, nice to talk to you again. Oh, Jason, thanks for having me on. Boy, this is so fascinating. And I know my friend Johnny Tower, who's your head basketball coach, certainly does not want you to encourage his players to form a union. (laughs) I'm going to take no position on that. None at all. (laughs) That's smart. But I, 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 I will talk about the, uh, the uh, legal issues implicated by the uh, Dartmouth uh, college basketball uh, case. It is fascinating to me. And the the more you think about it, the more you understand at least uh, where the young people are coming from. Now, uh, why don't you lay it on me? Because I think most people would look at this and say, look, whether it's Dartmouth, whether it's the University of St. Thomas or uh, St. John's, it doesn't matter. When you're thinking of a student athlete, they're sort of receiving payment in the form of a scholarship. Uh, But but how does the argument go that they would be legally considered employees? Well, there, there's uh, several elements to that. Number one, they uh, they are receiving compensation. In the case of Dartmouth University, the comp- they, they are not on athletic scholarships, but they do receive other forms of compensation. They have apparel. They, they uh, receive a $1,000 shoe allowance. There, there's a number of elements that go into it. And their activities are tightly controlled by the university. They're told when to practice. They're told when they must miss class to travel. Uh, uh, They are told to come to certain alumni events to wear certain types of clothing. There's a tight uh, regulation, regimentation to their their activities. Pretty common in in college sports, I would imagine, right? Absolutely common in college sports. But then we match that up to uh, to the definition we have of employee in labor law. And that's uh, having uh, your employer control your activities in return for compensation. 
And what we're seeing in the Dartmouth University case is precisely that. Your activities throughout the day, throughout the season, are regimented. They're controlled by the basketball team, in return for which you receive apparel allowances, shoe allowances. Um, so you receive real tangible uh, benefits. There is a, 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 there's a case. The, the, uh, this did not come out of the blue. There's a case involving the Seattle Opera Company uh, about 20 years ago. Uh, they had uh, auxiliaries who were paid small stipends, but were required to, to work uh, with the opera company, were required to meet certain, uh, certain obligations. They get free tickets and $200 uh, appearance. Uh, this was deemed to be employment for purposes of labor law. When you get a case like that, it's an easy leap mm. from the Seattle Opera Company case to the uh, Dartmouth University basketball team. That's not a hard leap to make. And we're driven by precedent. We look at um, uh, cases from the past that look like the case before us today. This is the National Labor Relations Board reasoning. We're talking with uh, Dr. Charles Reed from the University of St. Thomas School of Law. Charles, uh, we we did have a, a student-athlete case in 2015 with Northwestern University, the football team there. And in that case, the National Labor Relations Board, five-member politically appointed board, said, no, these players don't have the right to collectively bargain. What What has changed? Is it is it just that the Biden administration appointees are uh, more union-friendly than the Obama administration appointees were or, or have – Legal opinions on what an employee is, did that change? What do you think changed? I think two things changed. I think, number one, the uh, Biden administration, uh, National Labor Relations Board, is probably the most labor-friendly board we've seen since the 1960s. I think absolutely they they are labor-friendly, and I think that's that's, uh, an important change. But also I think we are seeing within the realm of college athletics, we are seeing a movement towards recognition that this is big business. We saw this with the name, image, yeah. and likeness cases yeah. that have come That's before the Supreme courts. Court, for sure. When we see name, image, and likeness coming before the courts, and we recognize that this is a form of commerce and that athletes deserve a share of this, again, it's an easy hmm. leap yeah. to make to say, yes, uh, they should also have the right to unionize. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Uh, Dr. Charles Reed from University of St. Thomas School of Law with us talking about the Dartmouth uh, men's basketball team. As you stated, Ivy League uh, players, they don't get scholarships. They uh, the, the lawyers for Dartmouth tried to make the case that, look, we don't even make money on the basketball team. But as someone who works in the field of broadcasting, I certainly like the National Labor Relations Board's answer to that, which is if your employer, you know, whether your employer makes money or not, has very little to do with whether you're an employee or not. 
that, that's that, that's some good reasoning. You're absolutely right, though. Uh, the the fact that your 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 activities are controlled and you receive compensation. These are the two the two main elements, and we see that in the Dartmouth University case here. And it doesn't matter if the basketball team makes money. A year, the basketball team brings luster uh, mm, to the university, yeah. brings attention to the university. It serves the university's interests in other ways. So does this extend to high schools then, if you play it out and you think about most high school athletes have kind of a school code of conduct that they have to observe? They have practices that they have to be at. There are sometimes, you know, travel days where you have to miss classes. I mean, other, I, I suppose the question is, is there any compensation? Th- that might be that's, the issue, right? That's the issue. The issue is compensation. The, you can demonstrate that the students are receiving compensation at the level of intercollegiate sports. I'm not so sure you can make that, uh, that leap at the high school sports level. So that is key. You know, when you look at it and you say, okay, is Dartmouth really an employer? The the fact that Dartmouth is facilitating, you know, issuing the rules, that makes them an employer for sure. And issuing a, a certain amount of compensation, at least in terms of that, you know, shoe allowance. Mm-hmm. Precisely. As, uh, once you have uh, the, the compensation element met, once you have the control element met, and then uh, we, we have a broad definition of what constitutes commerce. And intercollegiate sports clearly fit within the uh, definition of what counts as commerce. Yeah. It becomes uh, really uh, uh, an easy case. And, and then mm. again, yeah. I say we have precedent that, that justifies this outcome also. What, what happens next? I mean, uh, obviously, they'll have a vote. And if enough people vote to certify a union, they'll, they'll, they'll become a union. But when you look at this, you say, all right, well, what if you're a college athlete, uh, you're probably not. I don't know. It seems like these students uh, want to negotiate about work rules. But if you want to be a collegiate basketball player or hockey player, or whatever the case may be, and what are you negotiating for? I guess that's what sort of contract do you see coming out of out of this effort? Well, what kind of contract can come out of this? I suspect perhaps greater meal allowances. I suspect perhaps uh, some element of compensation. We're beginning to see uh, college athletes be compensated in other sports, perhaps some uh, uh, some regular payments as opposed to simply a shoe allowance, perhaps some cash allowances also. Yeah. Does um, this change? I mean, when you look at part of the way the NCAA has Division One versus Division Three, for example. One of the differences is whether uh, scholarships are a part of the equation for those athletes or required. Um, Does that maybe, you know, throw the whole system on its head? Well, when you look at Division Three, the the Dartmouth uh, University case is Division One athletics. Division Three athletics may be structured differently. I'm not. uh, You'd have to take every case as they come along. What's the level of compensation being provided by the university? What's what are the expectations that the university is placing on students? I can't, I don't know enough about Division yeah. Three athletics to be able to answer that. Yeah. If you're running, you know, if you're Dartmouth and you're saying, all right, like, how do we get around this? 
do you just cut out the shoe allowances? Do you, I mean, what do you, what do you do if well, you're the employer in this circumstance? Cut the programs well, and say, forget it? The, you begin to run the risk of unfair labor practices. Mm. That's, that's the downside. If you begin to take those sorts of steps after a union vote is, is passed, right. you begin to look like it's unfair labor practice, and um, then the National Labor Relations Board will have something to say about that. Just, so you don't want yeah, – if, if yeah. you're the university, you don't want to be looking like you're retaliating against the players. Right. That's something you don't want. Oh, it's so interesting. So interesting and something that every university will have to deal with. I I would guess that at a certain point there will be schools who will say, you know, we, we can't afford to have, you know, 10 sports. We're only going to have three or four. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see something like that. Well, I hope that's I hope that's never the case, although um, yeah, you really hope that's not the case. Yeah, you hope you, not. You hope that uh, right. the students have these opportunities. Yeah. So interesting. Uh, very, very interesting. Well, well, we'll keep following it. I appreciate the explanation and the insight. It's really helpful. And it is a new a new era in this uh, realm, for sure. Seeing the students make their make their money and in their Instagram posts and all of the TikTok and all of that. And now uh, we'll potentially see the very first labor union. With well, college sports is big money, especially yeah. at the Division yeah. One level. It's big money, and if that's the case, I think players need uh, need a fair shake in the system. Yeah, should have a voice for sure. Absolutely, Charles Reed. Appreciate the insight from the University of Saint Thomas School of Law. Thanks, Charles. Jason, thank you. Three forty nine traffic and record breaking weather coming up here on CCM. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.